The following message comes to you from the pulpit of Zion Primitive Baptist Church in Zion, Alabama. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com. When last we looked in the book of Mark, we had seen in chapter 16 that Jesus had been, in chapter 15, crucified, and in chapter 16, the ladies had gone to the tomb with the purpose of anointing a dead body, a very desperate, despairing act, no hope. But when they got there, they saw that the stone that they had expected to struggle with to get it away from the tomb's entrance had been rolled away. And they met a man in the tomb, a young man, uh, who was wearing a long white garment. And, of course, it made them afraid, as it always does when they see an angel or an, an incarnation of the Lord in his glory. And he said to them, don't be afraid. And this is what he said. Ye seek Jesus of Nazareth, which was crucified. Indeed, he was crucified. But here's the good news. He is risen. He is not here. Behold the place where they laid him. So we saw in the last couple of messages that Jesus, as, as I trust you already knew, did not stay in the tomb. He, he was resurrected. He was the first fruits of all of us who will be resurrected. So, so this morning, as we understand that Jesus is a resurrected Savior, I want to ask the question. He is risen. Now what? Now what? What happens next? So he's risen. He didn't end the world there immediately and take everybody home to be with him. So now what? He is risen. He is not here. What do we need to do? The disciples needed to know what to do. We need to know what to do now that the resurrection has occurred. So let's look at that this morning. Beginning, we'll begin reading in verse 14 and we'll read down through the end of the chapter. In chapter 16 of Mark, verse 14. Afterward he appeared unto the eleven as they sat at meat and upbraided them with their unbelief and hardness of heart because they believed not them which had seen him after he was risen. And he said unto them, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. And these signs shall follow them that believe. In my name shall they cast out devils. They shall speak with new tongues. They shall take up serpents. And if they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. They shall lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. So then after the Lord had spoken to them, he was received up into heaven and sat on the right hand of God. And they went forth and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the word with signs following, amen. Thus concludes the Gospel of Mark, as, as we believe dictated by Peter to, to John Mark, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And the answer to now what is contained here in these passages. Now, we understand, I hope you understand, that the Gospel of Matthew and the Gospel of Luke and the Gospel of John adds more information to what happened between the time Jesus arose from the dead and the time he ascended back to heaven. In fact, the first chapter of Acts adds even more information to that. We're going to look at that in a, in a few minutes. But, but right here in the book of Mark, one of the reasons I love Mark 
is because it's a simple gospel. Not that the others are complicated, but Mark just puts it down in simple terms. He doesn't elaborate very often on what was going on. He says, hey, here's what happened. This is what he said. And he goes through the whole life, uh, the ministry rather, the Lord Jesus Christ. And, uh, and it's just laid out there in simple terms. I like that. I'm a simple man. I need simplicity in my life. And so we find here that there's some things that will help us understand what our job is now, now that Jesus has risen from the dead. First of all, he says, now that I've arisen, you ought to believe. You ought to believe. You see, it matters that we believe. Now, just because we don't, we, we believe the Bible teaches that, 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 that belief is not what gets you to heaven doesn't mean that belief's not important. Right. Belief is extremely important. Notice what it says in verse 14. Afterward, he appeared unto the eleven as they sat at meat and upbraided them for their unbelief and hardness of heart. He, he got on to them. The word upbraid there means to reproach or to cast something in one's teeth. That's pretty strong language. Jesus, our loving Savior, who loves us with an everlasting love, upbraided these disciples because they didn't believe. And you remember this. You know that. We're not going to go back through each instance. But, but the resurrection, the crucifixion and the resurrection shouldn't have taken them by surprise. He told them over and over. He said, I'm going to Jerusalem. I'm going to be crucified and raised again the third day. You know, that's pretty simple language to me. But they were scratching their heads. They were like, I don't, they don't understand. We were told in a couple of places they didn't understand. We know Peter didn't understand. He told Peter, he said, oh, I'm going to be, the Son of Man is going to be delivered up to the Pharisees, going to be crucified, going to be uh, put to death, uh, going to be mocked, and, and he's going to be raised the third day. <laughs> well, Peter obviously didn't believe because he, he got on to Jesus. He rebuked Jesus. He said, not so, Lord. Don't say that. Don't be talking that stuff. Don't be, don't be, don't be saying these negative things. You know, people don't like to hear negative things, do they? <laughs> That's why a certain televangelist that I can name and may do it yet, <laughs> may name him yet, is so popular because he won't mention sin. He won't mention anything that's negative. <laughs> but you see, Jesus was telling them the truth. Jesus was explaining. And if they had believed, they wouldn't have been surprised. They'd have just been sitting waiting for three days. Say, boy, I can't wait till he rises again. But instead, they were scattered. And they, you know the story of, of the two disciples that were on the road to Emmaus? And they were just all downcast. We just thought it was him, man. We, he was a prophet. We just knew it was him. But that, and he, he tells them. He gets on them. He calls them, uh, you, you, you fools and slow of heart to believe. <laughs> what the scriptures said. They, he, had been, he had been prophesied from from time, in fact, all the way back from the Garden of Eden. You know, the first prophecy of the Christ was given actually to the serpent, not to even to Adam and Eve, but it was in their presence. As God was talking to the serpent in the third chapter of Genesis, he told the serpent, he said, I will put enmity between thee, thy seed and her seed, speaking of Eve, and, and it shall bruise thy head and thou shalt bruise his heel. Isn't that something? Uh, all the way back, he prophesied that there was going to have to be a sacrifice for sin. There was going to have to be a perfect sacrifice, and it would be of the seed of the woman, the son of man, who was also the son of God. He said it's important, it matters that you believe. Did you know unbelief is a debilitating sin? Unbelief is a debilitating sin. 
Have you ever found yourself doubting God? Now you say, well, maybe you don't doubt His existence. Maybe you don't doubt the basic doctrines. But do you ever find yourself during the week doubting that anything could ever, you know, could ever work out for you? I, I, I tell you, y'all laugh about this, I know, because my, my kids do. But the character from my childhood that I identify with more than any other character is Charlie Brown. Nothing ever worked out for Charlie Brown, did it? Always poor old Charlie Brown, always downcast, always something happened, never did work out. Couldn't even spell the word beagle in the National Spelling Bee in one of the stories. Poor old Charlie Brown. I always, I always got Charlie Brown, Brother Mackey. That's kind of the way I, nothing ever, you know, a song even says, why is everybody always picking on me? You know, that's kind of the way I, that's kind of the way I felt. I felt like, you know, nothing ever works out for me. Well, you know what that is? That's unbelief. That's doubt. You know, it, that, instead, of, instead of that attitude, I should have the attitude of, you know what? I have a great God who is going to take care of me. I didn't get the promotion, but I trust God. I didn't win the spelling bee, but I trust God. Things didn't work out in my love life. Things didn't work out in my personal life. Things didn't work out in my social life. Things didn't work out in, my, uh, in, in politics. You know, that's a big one lately, isn't it? We're all downcast because of politics. I admit it. I've been downcast because after this last election. But you know, the election is not where my hope lies. That's unbelief. When we get upset and let that bother us to the point where we, where we forget about the fact that God has got this. He's got it under His control. I don't mean He's predestinating things that happen. That's not what we're talking about. But praise God, He's still the sovereign Lord of the universe. And the providential hand of God is not shortened just because somebody lost an election. Praise God. That's unbelief when we slide in. Unbelief is a debilitating sin. Did you know that there are those I know, I have a good friend who claims not to believe, claims to be an atheist. Actually, he may be more of an agnostic at this point in his life, but I believe he's a child of God. I see evidence of the fruit of the Spirit in his life. I see, I see ways in which he helps others. I see I see the struggles he has because of his unbelief. You know, an unbeliever who's a, not a child of God, never been born again, doesn't struggle with his unbelief. He's happy with his unbelief. I believe he's a child of God, but do you know something about an unbeliever, an unbelieving child of God? There's not one promise in the Word of God you can claim if you're an unbeliever. Now, now don't misunderstand what I'm saying. All the promises of God apply to every single child of God. But the problem is if you don't believe and trust in him and trust in those promises, you can't claim them. <laughs> they don't do you any good, you know. You know, <laughs> Brother Buddy might, just might have given me a million dollars this week. But if he put it into an account that I didn't know about and I didn't have any access to, then what good is it to me? The, the, the prisoner on death row who has been pardoned by the governor. You know, what about the, what about the, <laughs> the situation where the, the lawyer comes to that man and hands him a copy of the pardon? Says, you've been, you're free, you've been pardoned. And the prisoner says, I don't believe it. Take that thing away. 
and keep sitting there in his cell. Doesn't do him any good, does it? The pardon doesn't do him any good. Now listen, he's still pardoned. He's still free. Every child of God has been pardoned. Every child of God has been justified. Every child of God has been, will one day be glorified. But if you don't believe it, it doesn't do you any good. Belief, unbelief is a debilitating sin. You can't, you can't read the Word and, and get any comfort from it if you don't trust in the one who wrote it. <laughs> you say, well, wait a minute. You mean to tell me that, you can, that, an, that, that belief is not a prerequisite to eternal life? Look with me over in Romans right quick, the third chapter. The third chapter of Romans starts off this way. What advantage then hath the Jew? Or what profit is there of circumcision? And he's been talking about the difference between Jew and Gentile. And the fact that a, the real Jew is the one who's been circumcised inwardly in the heart and not outwardly in the flesh. And he says there's, there's an advantage to being Jewish in that day. He says what advantage hath the Jew? Much every way. Now, what, what is it the way that they're, they have an advantage? Chiefly because that unto them were committed the oracles of God. The Jewish people were the ones to whom the oracles of God, the Old Testament, was written. It wasn't written to the Moabites. It wasn't written to the Ammonites. It wasn't written to any other the Canaanites. It was written to the Jews, the Jewish nation. They had the oracles of God. Did that mean there weren't any children of God in any of those other uh, nations and tribes? No, because we read about so many that, that were already children of God, like Rahab the harlot. Rahab already believed, by the, she already was a child of God, had a tender heart by the time they went down there to overtake the city. But he, regardless of the examples, over in Revelation he tells us that there's, there's a multitude that no man can number of the children of God that are in every nation, kindred, tribe, and people. Everywhere you find people, you'll find children of God. But the Jews were the only ones that knew the truths of God's Word. They're the only ones that had the true worship of God. Okay? Now notice what it says. For what if some did not believe? Verse 3 there, Romans chapter 3. What if some did not believe? You know what answer the world gives to that? Well, they're going to bust hell wide open. <laughs> if you don't believe, you're going to hell. If you don't trust Him, you're going to hell. You don't pray the sinner's prayer. You don't uh, commit your life to Him. You don't do this or do that. You're going to hell. If you don't believe, you're going to hell. But praise God, that's not the answer the Word of God gives us. Shall their unbelief make the faith of God without effect? <laughs> you know, the, the unbelief of any or all of God's children has no effect upon the faith of God. I'm so thankful for that because we often think of believers and unbelievers as an absolute category that, that's a one-time thing that never ends. But the truth of the matter is we're all believers and unbelievers every day. As I said earlier, what about the time when, when you're not trusting Him? You know what that makes you? An unbeliever. To the extent to which you're not trusting in Christ, but trusting in yourself and others, you're, to that extent, you're an unbeliever. There are times in my daily walk when I am a strong believer. 
I feel strong in my faith right now. I feel strong in my belief right now. I believe if they came busting the door down right now to take me off to the torturer, to torture me for my belief, I would say, bring it on. Just like Peter did when Jesus said, you're going to deny me, Peter. And Peter said, oh, no, not me. If I have to die with you, I'll go to death for you, Lord. I believe he meant it. I believe he trusted the Lord. I believe he absolutely would have done it right then, but it wasn't long before the world had crept back in. And he, and he found himself trying to, trying to work it out himself. He cut off the ear of the high priest. And before you know it, he was following him afar off. And next thing you know, he was trying to seek warmth and comfort from the fires of the world instead of from the Son of God. You ever find yourself there? Man, I do. I do. I feel so close to him right now. I wish, I wish he'd walk in. I wish, I, I wish they'd come get me. I feel so strong in my faith right now. But the minute I go out that door, it'll start dwindling a little bit. You know, there's a reason the church is important. It helps me feel this way. It helps me to be here this morning, to be here among other believers, others of, uh, of, of his kingdom, and to feel the Spirit of God most of all moving among us. That gives me strength. But the minute I set foot on the asphalt out there, it'll start waning. And if I'm not careful, before long, like Peter, I'll be, I'll be trying to seek the comfort of the world instead of the pleasures and joy of the kingdom. <clears throat> For what if some did not believe? Shall their unbelief make the faith of God without effect? Look at, look at Paul's answer. God forbid. Oh, praise God for that answer. God forbid. Yea, let God be true, but every man a liar. Oh, thank you, Lord, for the fact that it's you that's true. It's your faithfulness that never fails. It's your faith that I have to rely upon in my life because my faith often fails like the, like the father of the sick young girl who eventually died and the Lord ultimately raised her from the dead. He said, do you believe? He says, all things are possible if you believe. You know, that's still true today. All things are possible if you believe. But my problem is I'm like that man. He said, Lord, I believe. Help thou mine unbelief. Oh, I... I know I'm a sinner. Lord, I believe and trust you. I want to trust you more. I want to trust you where I'm hurting. I want to trust you when I'm going through the valley of the shadow of death. I want to trust you when things don't make sense. I want to. I struggle with it, Lord. Help thou mine unbelief. Oh, I need to believe. It's important that I believe. But it's not going to get me to heaven, praise God, when I don't believe. It's not going to keep me from heaven, rather, when I don't believe. Yea, let God be true, but every man a liar. But unbelief is a problem. If we don't trust Him, we can be led into places that we don't want to go. We can be, we can end up, you know, look over in the book of Hebrews with me for a moment, the third chapter. <clears throat> he begins this talking about Jesus. And by the way, the theme, the theme if you had to have one word that was the theme of the book of Hebrews, it'd be better. Better. Everything's better. He talks about the old law service, the new, the new church service, the new grace service is better. 
Talk about the old sacrifices of the blood of bulls and goats. The sacrifice of Christ is better. You see, and everything here is about better. In verse 7, he begins to talk about the, the, the Israelites in the wilderness. He said, Wherefore, as the Holy Ghost saith, today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts, as in the provocation in the day of temptation in the wilderness, when your fathers tempted me, proved me, and saw my works forty years. He goes on to talk about how they erred, and he was grieved with them. And he swore in verse 11, I swear in my wrath, they shall not enter into my rest. Now hold that thought. We're going to see there's a rest in this world for a child of God. There's an eternal rest. We look forward to that. But I don't want to, I, I need rest here. I don't need, I don't want to have to wait for eternity. I don't want to have to wait. And the only time I find rest in my life is the day I lay down a corpse when my life leaves me, my physical life. There's a rest that I need here. He says, but these people, he says, they shall not enter into my rest. And he says in verse 12, take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief. Now, wait a minute. So these are reprobates that are not believers that are going to die and go to hell? No, he's talking to brethren. He says, take heed, brethren, those who have been born again, those who have the new birth, take heed, Brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief. Did you know that you, child of God, can have an evil heart of unbelief? I, I can have an evil heart of unbelief. He talks in one place about, back in chapter 2, about taking the more earnest heed to the things which we've heard, lest we let them slip. If, if we couldn't let them slip, he wouldn't have told us not to let them slip, would he? <laughs> That's drifting away, you see. Do you know, it doesn't nobody ever sets out to be an unbeliever. No child of God ever sets out and says, you know, I'm just tired of believing. I'm going to quit believing today. <laughs> it always creeps up just a little bit by a little bit. Like I've told you before, that, that example of going to the beach and setting up your tent and setting up your chairs and all that, and you get out in the water on the float, and if you're not careful, what happens? Next thing you know, you look up and you're 100 yards down the beach from where you started. <laughs> it's not because you set out to do that. You don't have to set out to, to go astray. You have to set out not to go astray. You have to make it a point to intentionally not go astray. If you're just drifting through life, then you're just going to drift away. You've got you to swim against the current. You've got to fight against the stream, you see, because otherwise you'll slip away. He says, you, brethren, take heed, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. Now that, again, I just want to emphasize, that can't mean departing in an eternal sense. Because he's talking to brethren who have been born again. But exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. I could preach all day about that. There is deceitfulness in sin because there is pleasure in sin for a season. You know, if sin had no pleasure, it wouldn't be a problem, would it? I don't have one bit of a problem not doing something that I don't like to do. You know, I don't have any problem not eating Brussels sprouts. I don't have any problem not, I don't like Brussels sprouts. You set a bowl of Brussels sprouts down in front of me 
and say, now don't you touch them. <laughs> hey, I'm, I'm on board with that, you know, we're good. But now don't set banana pudding down in front of me and say don't touch it because it's going to be hard for me not to touch it. I'm tempted by something. If sin weren't tempting, it wouldn't be a problem, you see. Sin is deceitful. Let's just leave it at that. For we are made partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast unto the end. Do you remember the time? Do you, do you, can you remember a time in your life when the kingdom of God and the things of God meant so much to you? Most of the time, it has to do with some kind of conversion. You know, uh, the new birth. Now, I will say this. Most people say it has to do with the new birth. It does have to do. The new birth must precede those times of refreshing that we all experience, okay? But most of the time, it's, it's very rare when the new birth and conversion occur on the same, at the same instant. I'm not saying it can't. I believe Paul the Apostle is one of them. I believe when Saul of Tarsus was going up the road to Damascus and he was stopped by the Lord and he was converted and he was born again and converted just like that. <laughs> he didn't have any problems with converting. But now conversion is also a continual process. But, uh, but think about a time. You know, I, I believe for Paul, whenever he got down and out and, and tempted to, to slip away from the things of God, he'd, he'd think back to that day on the road to Damascus and say, boy, I may not feel him now, but I felt him then. You know, I have times like that in my life. You know what I do sometimes? Sometimes what I do, when I get to feeling down and out and I get struggling with life and things get in the way, I think back to this church and how we began to experience a revival. In different times during the life of this revival that we've experienced. I think about the times when six people joined. I think about the times when Brother Ricky Harcrow preached. I think about the times when my heart was lifted up. I remember Brother Ricky Harcrow in that other church over there. Before he preached one night, he was standing there. We sang, sang that song, Homeward Bound, that he liked so much. And he stood there with tears in his eyes. And he said, I feel like I'm ready to go home right now. That encourages me. That reminds me of where I've been. Now, sometimes I'm not always there. But it reminds me of where I've been. But you see, I don't always hold on with confidence, with the beginning of my confidence, steadfast to the end. But there's been confidence that I've had because I've experienced the goodness of God. While it is said today, if you will hear His voice, harden not your hearts as in the provocation. For some, when they heard, did provoke. Howbeit not all that came out of Egypt with Moses, but with whom was he grieved forty years? Was it not with them that had sinned, whose carcasses fell in the wilderness? And to whom swear he that they should not enter into his rest? Now notice, there's a rest. To whom swear he that they should not enter into his rest? But to them that believed not. So we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. Do you see how debilitating unbelief can be? It, it, unbelief will not send you to hell if you're a child of God because the faithfulness of God cannot, be, cannot, cannot waver. But unbelief can make you feel like you're experiencing hell here on this earth. It can make you feel like you're going to hell. And you will not have that rest that God has prepared for us. Because notice in going on in chapter 4 and verse 1, there is a rest here and now for the child of God. There's a rest for the believer that the unbeliever will never enjoy. Let us therefore fear, lest a promise being left us of entering into his rest, 
any of you should seem to come short of it. Don't, don't be an unbeliever. Don't, don't doubt the promises of God. Don't neglect the promises of God. Don't let yourself slip away from the promises of God because you'll seem to come short of the rest that God has prepared for us. For unto us was the gospel preached as well as unto them, but the word preached did not profit them not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. Now, I don't believe this is talking about the new birth here. I believe it's talking about the, they had faith that was given to them in the new birth. That's a fruit of the Spirit, but they didn't exercise that faith. They didn't mix that faith with the, with the preaching of the gospel that they heard. And he says, For we which have believed do enter into rest. As he said, I have sworn in my wrath that they shall enter into my rest, although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. In other words, they're my children. The works were finished from the foundation of the world, but they're not going to have any rest in this world if they don't trust me. It matters that we believe. Verse 10, just to sort of put the punctuation mark on this point. Notice it says, verse 9, There remaineth therefore a rest to the people of God, for he that is entered into his rest, now listen to this, he also hath ceased from his own works, as God did from his. You know what it takes to enter into this rest? To cease from your own works. In the 10th chapter of Romans, we read about a people, the Jews there. He said, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. Wait a minute, eternally? No. Hang on. Remember what you got to ask when you see the word saved. Saved from what? <laughs> saved from what? You say, what, are there, you're telling me there's different kinds of salvation in the Word of God? I sure am. When Peter was walking on the water and he, and he was looking at Jesus and then he took his eyes off Jesus and he started sinking into the sand, he cried out, Lord, save me. Was Peter saying, Lord, take me home to eternal heaven? No, he could have just sunk in the water for that. <laughs> he could have just died for that. He didn't have to be. He was saying, save me in a timely sense. Over in the book of Titus or 2 Timothy, I can't remember, it talks about a woman being saved in childbirth. Oh, well, that means every woman has to have a baby in order to go to heaven, right? No, that's not what it means. That's not what it's talking about. It's a timely deliverance, okay? So notice here, notice what we, we were talking about in Romans, the 10th chapter. He says, brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. Saved from what? He said, well, I bear them record. They have a zeal of God. That means a fire. Zeal means a fire. He's talking about a fire. They're, in other words, they've been born again. They have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. Now notice this, for they going about to establish their own righteousness have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. You see, what he's saying is there, the problem with the Jews that I'm talking about is not that they're going to hell, it's that they're not trusting in Christ here. And therefore, they're going about working their way to heaven, they think, and they're trying to get there by their own works, and they've not submitted themselves to the righteousness which is of God, because you see all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags, but the righteousness which is of God is the righteousness of Christ, which is perfect, pure. He was holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and it has been imputed unto us. And we, you know what? We can 
cease from our own works as God did from his and enter into the rest, resting on the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then in verse 11, seems like it knocks it all in the head, right? It said, let us labor, <laughs> therefore. <laughs> Wait a minute, what? You said you cease from your works. Well, it's a different kind of work here now. Let us labor, therefore, to enter into that rest, lest any man fall after the same example of unbelief. Do you know he tells us in one place that we have to, uh, we have to fight in order to uh, be a part of the kingdom of God. We have, to, uh, we have to fight our way in, so to speak. And it's not, it's not against uh, others, it's against ourselves. We have, to, we have to labor. That is, we have to continually keep from slipping, continually work to keep our minds focused on the rest that is in Christ. Which brings us to the, the next point, which will be our last for this morning. It not only matters that we believe, it matters what we believe. It matters what we believe. Over in 1 Timothy, the third chapter, the 15th verse, Paul calls the church the pillar and ground of the truth. The truth. Uh, we've said this many times before, but a pillar, what does it do? It holds something up so you can see it. The ground is what the house is built on. Well, in the church, the truth is both that which we hold up for the world to see and also that which our house, our spiritual house, is built upon. When, when, John, when uh, uh, Jesus was talking to the woman at the well in John, the fourth chapter, about the 24th verse, he says to her, God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit, which most everybody agrees on, and in truth, which sometimes people miss. You see, to worship God, we must worship Him in spirit and in truth. Truth matters to God. Anything goes is not the theme song of the church of the living God. Notice in chapter, back in Mark chapter 16, in verse 15, it says, And He said unto them, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He didn't say preach a gospel. He didn't say preach a philosophy. He didn't say preach whatever you want to preach. He said preach the gospel to every creature. It's not just any old message. And it's interesting, is it not, that the, that the book of Mark begins with the gospel and ends with the gospel. Remember Mark 1.1, 1, 1, the beginning of the gospel of, the, of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. It starts off with the gospel and it ends up, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Now granted, when they were first started out with Jesus, the disciples first started out with Jesus in his earthly ministry, they didn't understand the gospel. They didn't know what he was talking about when he said the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He didn't, they didn't know what he was talking about when he's talking about going to Jerusalem and being crucified. They thought he was coming with the good news that the Roman rule was over and there was going to be a political revival, a political renewal, and now uh, Israel was going to rule the world. That's what they thought. But you see, what he was really preaching to them was is that the dominion of sin was over. The dominion of sin over man was to be concluded by the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. It was a spiritual kingdom. It was a spiritual message, and they missed that. But now they get it. And he says, now, now that you understand, you go preach the gospel. Not something else, the gospel, the good news. The good news of what? The good news that Jesus Christ finished the work on the cross. <laughs> Back over in Matthew, 
the end of Matthew's gospel, the 28th chapter, verse 18. It says, Jesus came and spake unto them. This is another version that's not contrary to this. Remember, there's no conflicts in the word of God. It's just different gospel writers give us different information. Jesus here tells them, all power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. I know that televangelists talk about your power and my power and the church's power and all these kinds of things. Name it and claim it. If you just got enough faith, if you just got enough good works, if you'll just send me enough money, <laughs> we got the power. No, let me tell you, we don't have the power. He has the power. Now, there's power in the gospel message. In fact, it's the power called the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes. That doesn't mean the power to get you saved for eternal heaven, but it's a powerful message. And it, but it comes from the fact that Jesus has all power in heaven and in earth. And he says, go ye therefore. I like that. He didn't say, if you're good enough, go. If you're smart enough, go. If you can get enough education and training, go. He said, you go. You go. Why? Because I've got all power. Therefore, you see, what's that therefore, therefore? <laughs> it's there because Jesus has a, go ye therefore because I've got all power and do what? Teach all nations. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And good luck with that, and one day maybe you'll make it to heaven. Is that what he says? No. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. I like that. You see, this morning when I got up, I didn't feel much like preaching. Didn't feel like much like I had the ability to preach. Didn't feel much like I had the strength to preach. Certainly didn't feel like I had the wisdom to preach. But when I read this, I realized. I don't have to have all those things. Jesus has them. Jesus got this. I, I'm sure I've messed something up already today. I know I have. I know I hadn't said it just the right way. I haven't followed the Spirit just like I should, but praise God, He's got all power. Praise God, He's with us. Did you mess up this week? Did you, did you get something wrong this week? I did. I got several things wrong. Had an encounter with someone where uh, they were challenging me on something. I felt like I, I, I just did the poorest job I've ever done in defending myself and my faith. But praise God, he's got all power. Praise God, he's with me. When I mess it up, he gets it right. <laughs> praise God for the fact that we have an all-powerful, what's the, what's the word in the song? A rich, almighty friend. Poor, weakling, worthless, though I am. I have a rich, almighty friend. <laughs> Praise God for that. See, it matters. It matters that we believe. He's, he's risen, so now what? We ought to believe it. We ought to trust him. And we ought to believe the truth. We ought to believe that he is, as Mark begins his book saying, Jesus Christ, the Son of God. It begins with the incarnation. He is the Son of God. It ends with the resurrection. He did rise from the dead. He is the first fruits of them that sleep. And praise God, it also includes all the rest of it. 
that he taught them and that we read in the Word of God. Now, there's more. There's more that we need to do. We, we, we ought to believe. Come back tonight, if you can, and we'll see that we ought to work. Not to get to heaven. But we ought to do something. We ought to preach wherever we go. We ought to obey Him wherever we go. We ought to be ready whenever we're required. But praise God, it all comes back to His power and His glory. And the fact that, lo, He is with us always, even to the end of the age. We thank you for listening to today's message. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com.